Hello, I'm Jason Solomons and welcome to Meet the Producer, the podcast that puts the art, craft and business of producing in the spotlight as I talk to film and TV producers about their work and careers to learn how they approach the many facets of their job so that you and I can better go about ours. For our opening show on this new season, I joined the PGGB at the giant production event Focus in North London's Business Design Centre to record a special live podcast. So I shall let the Production Guild of Great Britain's CEO, the brilliant Lindsay Dutty, take it from here. And I can announce today, hot off the press, I'm delighted to reveal exclusive news that the series has been recommissioned and is being sponsored by the Guild's business partner, PSN, production service network. They facilitate physical production and access to incentives worldwide. The network taps producers into local production knowledge and expertise spanning more than 100 countries to determine where best to achieve creative vision for film and high-end television projects on a budget. PSN's founder Michael Moffat is here. Michael, would you like to say a few words? Sure, sure, Lindsay. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Um, I just in such an honored group. Uh, I feel uh, very honored indeed to be here and share the stage with you momentarily. Just to say that, you know, PSN is really all about ground truth in the production trenches worldwide. And we believe very much in that ground truth, the transmission of that to producers to enable them to accomplish their visions abroad. Um, So it is, you know, our grouping, our curated list of production service companies that fully identifies with the idea of this series that the Guild is so importantly bringing together for us and sharing with the production community. So we can't be more excited than to be a part of this. And, and actually, we're looking really forward to season two. So exactly. let's do it. Thank you. Yeah? <laughs> Thank you so, so much, Michael. We're so delighted. So in our session today, we're going to take a quick look back over series one with our podcast host, Jason Solomons. So Jason, everyone knows you. I don't really need to give you a bio, do I? But I will because I know you'll enjoy it. Jason is a widely recognised figure in UK film and media, known as the voice of London film for his 25 years as film critic, presenter and interviewer on BBC Radio London. He's currently a popular podcaster and regular commentator on BBC News, having written for The Observer and The Mail, as well as many magazines. In his new phase of his career, Jason is now an independent British film producer with several projects in active development including an adaptation of the best-selling memoir, A Waiter in Paris and King of Witches. Why did you decide to do this series and why are you now producing? What's happening? (laughs) Well, I'm delighted to be doing season two of Meet the Producer. I was thrilled to be doing season one. Uh, And when I thought, oh, I'd love to meet some producers, I didn't think that six months down the line, I couldn't move for producers. (laughs) There are so many here. We've summoned them up. Uh, It's brilliant to be among them. Why wouldn't you want to be among this lot? I realised that as a film critic, and a champion of British film that for many years I was bringing voices together, bringing people together for my radio show. And I thought, well, I could just do that on a larger scale and that that would create the energies necessary to produce. But I needed to find out what that job was. And as we can see from here today, producers have many faces, many roles, many different approaches. And I thought, let's get them all together. There has to be someone that, that has defined what it is. But no one really had. So the production guild of Great Britain thought the same thing and we meet the producer and we aim to get through as many of you by the end of season 10 as possible. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I'm now going to hand over to Jason for the start of series two and our live record. So Jason, Simon, over to you. 
Lindsay, thank you very much. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the very first episode of season two of Meet the Producer, coming to you live here from Focus in Islington at the Business Design Centre. Fantastic to see so many of you here, so many producers in the room, and we are going to do what it says on the tin. We're going to meet a producer, and not just any old producer, ladies and gentlemen, oh no, a double Oscar-winning producer of some of my favourite films of the last 20 years. He is Simon Chin, ladies and gentlemen. He produced Man on Wire and Searching for Sugar Man and runs Lightbox Entertainment. Would you please welcome him to Focus? Just a few of your, of your credits there, Simon. As we heard earlier, they could go on. But it's fabulous to have a producer of, what would we call them feature docs? Is that what your genre well, that I guess you work the, in? The current, kind of, current category, I guess, is non-fiction, which encompasses many different forms of documentary, which, which now I do you know, under, under the Lightbox banner. But yeah, I started in feature docs. So you I didn't actually start in feature docs. I started in TV docs, but I kind of, I gravitated to feature docs, which I guess, you know, when I, when I made Man on Wire was, was definitely a different kind of thing than it is now, because we were definitely aiming to make films for the cinema. These days, theatrical docs are maybe struggling a tiny bit but you, you've been through obviously a lot of iterations of that making man on wire was was sort of you uh, 2008 we go back to yeah it was released in 2008, 2008. Yeah. so before that you had an this was really you as a sole producer coming up with the idea saying i'm gonna i'm gonna drive this through man on wire this is this is me on my own yeah uh, how, how does that happen did, did you literally have the idea in the shower one day Almost. Um, I actually had sort of had the idea in bed. Um, well, I was actually woken up by the subject of Man on Wire, Philippe Petit. For, for those of you who don't know what that film is, it's a film about a man, Philippe Petit, a Frenchman, who audaciously and, and illegally stuck a wire between the Twin Towers uh, in 1974 and high-wired with no safety net, nothing else, just, just, just him and his his balancing pole uh, between the wire, uh, danced on the wire, I think went back and forth seven times and then got arrested. And yeah, that film sort of started with me waking up. Actually, I, I, I'd overslept and I, I woke up to my clock radio, which for whatever reason came on late, uh, Desert Island Discs, and he was on Desert Island Discs. He's not kind of very well-known figure, but Desert Island just has a kind of good track record of, of picking interesting guests, not necessarily famous guests. And I was just completely sort of struck by this Gallic sort of idiosyncratic, sort of audacious um, figure telling, telling his story. Uh, and uh, the, the, the idea for the film didn't sort of enter my brain fully formed, but uh, it sort of percolated. And I went and got his book. He'd written a book about his adventures. And eventually I sort of started talking to a few people uh, and, and, and people were responding to it in a way that I had hoped, right? This, this, Almost pitching it this, to friends. This has pitching, it to, pitching it to friends, pitching it to a few buyers. I actually pitched it to a, a very legendary BBC documentary commissioner called Nick Fraser. She went out for lunch, and, and it was actually his response that really, really made me think that I was onto something. 
yeah, Storyville, which is, I guess, still going. But Nick was the sort of, he created Storyville in a way. And he was one of the kind of, really the kind of mavens of, of the feature doc uh, in, in this country. So had you optioned the book at this point or you just... I, I, well, I, w- I was in the process of sort of trying to pursue Philippe. And, and you know, I was, as, as I tend to do, I was sort of trying to do various things that simultaneously uh, throw a bunch of shit at the wall <laughs> and see what stuck. Um, that's what so producing is. Right? It kind of is. <laughs> so what I was basically doing was I was trying to, trying, to, trying to persuade Philippe to let me have his book and to let me have him. He was being very cagey. Uh, he was telling me he was working with other producers. But I was also getting the feeling that that wasn't, that wasn't working out so well. Because why would he be entertaining me at the same time? So I, I kind of knew that I was sort of onto something. I just knew I had to pursue it with greater tenacity and passion and sort of desire, whatever the word is, than anyone else. Mm. And he was a man, you know, who high-wired between tall buildings for a living. You know, he's a guy who sort of, who, who approached his business with, you know, kind of it was life, you know, his business is life or death. So in a weird way, I said I had to take my cue from that and try and persuade him that, that this was life or death for me. And actually, in a funny way, I don't want to get too melodramatic, but in a funny way, it sort of was because I'd actually left my career, you know, reasonably successful career as a sort of TV producer making, you know, reasonably good documentaries yeah. for television. Um, I had actually been a staff producer at a company called Mentor and had not really enjoyed it and had kind of got the opportunity to leave, bit of take voluntary redundancy. And so this was me sort of actually striking out on my own and doing what I'd always thought I might do. I so there was little, an element of dream, well, this I, is it, this yeah, is what I'm going to do. It was a, definitely, I had a bit of money in my pocket from the redundancy and I, th- I kind of felt I had about six months to give it a whirl. And this, this was the project that I, that I had. And I thought I had gold, you know, if I could get it, if I could get the project, and if I could get him. And was it always I, a documentary or did you have it in your mind as a, as a feature? Was feature docs your thing? How did you know the format uh, it would I mean, take? I had been making films in, in that kind of style, I guess, for television. You know, sort of past tense stories with archive and interview fundamentally. So I knew that I could... I, I understood the form and I kind of had the kind of first sort of hazy vision for the film. I mean, I, I, I sort of knew basically what it is that I, you know, I kind of sort of saw the, the end game yeah. a little bit in my head. And do you I think that's, that's crucial in, in, yeah. in going around pitching it, saying what it is? I mean, other than I've got this great story about a, a, a tightrope walker. It, it is, you, you pitch, yeah. the, you pitch yeah. how it's going to come out. You kind of have to have a sense of, of where you where you want to end up. Yeah, should, uh, should, we, have a, should we have a look at where you did end up? Because it's such a beautiful clip and such a beautiful film. If no one's ever seen it, or even if you have seen it many, many times, who doesn't want to be reminded of the Oscar-winning Man on Wire? I start walking as a wire walker who is studying his cable. 
And instead of doing an entire study of the cable for the whole lens, seeing the first cavality and keep walking, seeing the middle, which is so soft and treacherous, seeing the second cavality, how it is. No, I do only go to the first cavality and I know enough. Now I'm going to perform. It's still, I find it emotional watching it. I've seen it many times. Do you still find it emotional remembering the story that you took with that journey, the his journey? Yeah, but my emotions are probably quite different. They, you know, they're sort of like, you know, I have to carry a lot of baggage from, the, from that, that project. Mm -hmm. It's it's different kind of baggage. I mean, it's 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 great baggage. Good baggage, and yet, heavy it's baggage. Ultimately, good baggage. At the time, it was, you know, it was challenging working with Philippe. I mean, Philippe was a, was a you know, was a guy who, as I said, he has a very particular approach to life, and you know, very mm. very uncompromising as a character, and you know, kind of navigating the relationship with him that I did with the director James Marsh who is the director that we, you know, I brought onto the project. Yeah, that was, I guess, the central creative challenge of that well, how, how creative do do, and production how, challenge. How do you do that as a producer? That's a lot of uh, stuff that I'm now dealing with. You know, you attach, yeah. you attach a great talent or a great director and you have to establish a relationship with them that's professional, that's courteous, that's going to work for a long time. I mean, basically, you know, it was essential that I picked a director who would be aligned we, we would be aligned in, in, in a sort of very careful strategy of managing and dealing with Philippe. It was pretty clear from the start, was going to do everything in his power because he'd, he'd given up control of the project in the agreement. And I think he understood, he tried to make this film several times before, and I think he understood enough about the process to know that he would need to contractually cede control. Mm. But he also understood that he himself as the subject of the film and the owner of a lot of the material that we wanted had a lot of leverage and a lot of power over us nonetheless. So for us, it was sort of about playing a bit the long game and constantly adapting ourselves to the various obstacles that were thrown at us. And they were many. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he wanted to come to shoots. He wanted to control things. He wanted to insert himself in the process. He wanted to try and undermine the director and what he was doing. And to some degree, we kind of had to kind of lose a lot of small battles in order to try and win the big battle, which was not easy for me at the time. You know? right. but, but in the end, I think as a producer, you kind of have to learn to adapt yourself to that, any situation. Sometimes you are the sort of receptacle of people's resentments, anger, anguish. And a lot of people nodding in the audience. Sometimes you just have to kind of play that role. You've got to be be that guy and, 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 and play it well, you know, not, not yourself become resentful because actually in a way you are serving an incredibly an invaluable function in that kind of role. Uh, I imagine we, you have that the same with actors, right? Um, yeah, so we all have our crosses. So there. it seems, you know, to, to, to pull away from this, that that relationship is certainly in this instance between producer and director was the key, the key relationship. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was actually. We were sort of, you know, we were kind of bound together in the face of a common enemy. Sometimes how I like to, to look at it. But it was really like that. And actually on that, project and I'm fond of Philippe now don't, go, don't get me wrong he does have 
things about him that are charming and delightful and amazing. And he did that thing that you just saw and you cannot take that away from him. He was sort of worth the trouble, you know, and they're not always, so sometimes they, they're not always, there is that cost benefit analysis thing. It's like, is this worth it? And sometimes you conclude it actually isn't. And that's a depressing <laughs> conclusion to come to. But in this particular instance, I think we were both, James and I knew this was worth it yeah know, i so. mean there's something sublime and yeah. that touched the heavens and yeah. beauty like we saw her describing in in, in the piece uh, and you mentioned a holy grail of difficult subjects something you did that she was a holy grail of of rewards for this film because you got an oscar yeah yeah no i mean well that was <laughs> planned obviously so. <laughs> um we're, now we're sort of entering into award season discussion and there are other films in it and you had the same with searching for sugar man also went all the way to, to, to the Oscars, what, what, what's, what's that sort of delicate process of award season? What happens to a producer during award season? What do you do? You kind of go slowly crazy, if I'm totally honest. I mean, it, it, it isn't like fun. It sounds like it should be fun. But yeah, it's black really, tie. It's sort of like the opposite of fun. It's just, I, I shouldn't say that about it because obviously I have benefited from it i've gone through the process successfully twice and you know there's something about winning and going on that process when you don't expect that to happen that is kind of like a fantasy it's like a fairy tale and with both those films actually man on wire and sugar man you know it was like they were like sort of fairy tale journeys you know and and i should never take that for granted and i really don't and with sugar man actually i was doing it with the director of that film, uh, Malik Benjalal, who's sadly no longer with us. Um, and he was going, and in a way, you know, Man on Wire was sort of a bit my baby. Sugar Man was definitely his. And I was sort of going through it from a very different perspective. Okay. Sort of seeing it through his eyes and, and sort of helping guide him through it. So that was a different producerial role as you'd come up with Man on Wire. It's a different yourself. kind of human role right. in, the, in that, in the kind of, awards yeah. thing but yes i suppose i could give him the benefit yeah. of whatever wisdom i'd learned but from the presumably first in both those in those years you were nominated in categories with other films and as you went along you kept winning and they kept losing you said it was difficult process imagine if they kept losing to you and you still had to keep turning up to all the awards dues, and you knew you were going to lose because the man on wire was going to win well yeah I, I, I should say i have been a loser Ah. as well so you know i know i know both ex i have both experiences and i mean does that help to know the highs and the lows it's um yeah i mean it's i suppose what you kind of learn at the end of the day and this may sound a silly thing to say but it's sort of you've got to try and enjoy the process for what it is mm -hmm. right you've got to try it's hard it's hard during award season i think things get so pressured and you know so many different things that enter into it that aren't about the work. They're sort of about commerce and they're about other people's ambitions for themselves and for your film and whatnot. And Do you mean distributors? Distributors, and yeah, exactly. And, and, and it gets very sort of mixed up. And it's, I think it's also very easy to just lose, just lose your kind of presence. And, and I think the important thing is to try and stay present and try to enjoy it. And I feel both occasions where we had some success. I did enjoy it. And then actually I went to the Oscars with a short doc that we didn't end up winning. And I also enjoyed that 
as well uh, in, a, in a weird way, probably more than I would have had I not won before. <laughs> yes, it's yeah, easier so, to once you... I don't know. I mean, what am I trying to say? I'm trying, trying to say that in the end, it's all, it's all about the work. Yeah. Uh, it's about the filmmaking. And, and if it's and if they if the films get accolades and plaudits, it's sort of you've got to try and enjoy those for what they are, not I, continually I look, look over your getting, shoulder for the next plaudit. The I next think what I was looking at is that you, you've done the work, you've made the film, you've produced it, but it doesn't stop there. The, 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 the producer's work is in shepherding that film and keeping it going, in, 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 as you say, accompanying it on this on this extra long journey, which I think in, in some cases lasts over a year. Um, yeah, that, 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 it's a different sort of produ- angle of producing, I think, yeah, but it's still yeah. very important to the film, I should imagine. Yeah, no, it, it is important to the film, and, and, and actually, you know, in Malik's case, and it was incredibly important to him because he toiled over this film in a way that I hadn't for, for many years actually before I came on board the project. So, in a way, this was really his reward, and that was, that was great. Uh, and I, I, often I sort of think that. You know, the best thing about awards is actually the, the or even just getting nominated or recognised or critical success is that it enables you to sort of keep working, right? So in a weird way, you know, that's what, what I think awards are fundamentally for. You know, they're to get you the next the next gig. Yeah. Uh, maybe get you a slightly better deal on the next gig. Or, you know, so actually they do, they do have this that weird benefit, you know, which they should have. Yeah. Uh, but it does genuinely work in that way. Something to put on the mantelpiece as well. Should well, you have too. a mantelpiece? Yeah. yeah. Did you go and get a mantelpiece if you didn't have one before? You certainly... I did go and get a mantelpiece. <laughs> I got a house with a mantelpiece. <laughs> See, that also helps. Um, what, what's fascinating about your career? We mentioned those that doctor and that man on wire. You come out the come out of bed and go, ah, that's what I want to do. You've now got a very successful company. Lightbox, which you didn't have a company before then. When, when, when well, I had, I had a company sort of mostly in name. It's called Redbox Films, but it was kind of me. And But it was important to have a company so that I was sort of building my own label, my brand, my, you know, I, I didn't want to be on Man on Wire just a, a kind of gun for hire and just give it away. So we basically, I did partner with a, another company with resources, but I made sure that the deal that I did with them enabled me to sort of get the recognition that I needed to have as, the, as, the, produ- as the independent Right, so what's producer. that sort of deal? You remain lead producer? You, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I make, and I, I have certain approvals and I obviously have a benefit from the upside if there is upside. And, you know, it's just a different kind of, kind of proposition than just basically being a sort of freelance producer, which is what I used to be, that I was hired and I basically signed on the dotted line and as a result of that, gave everything to the company, you know. Yeah, I yeah. didn't want I didn't want that. And, and so but I wasn't ready at that point to sort of set up shop and have a an expensive infrastructure. I sort of felt I should try and partner with other other companies that were sympathetic, that would enable me to have that kind of role and that relationship. And that eventually when I kind of got confident enough and got enough of a track record that maybe I could build my own shop. Which is what I now have, but I, you know, that obviously comes with a lot of responsibility, uh, a heavy overhead, lots of staff, you know, all all of that stuff. So, so when did it's that? A different... when, when did that? When did you think right now? I need to get an office and have some people, and and then that's that's grown now into 
quite a big concern, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, well concern. I don't mean to worry you about it. <laughs> yes, it's a concern. <laughs> um, my 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 partner in Lightbox is my cousin who lives in LA. He he's he kind of grew up. He went to film school in LA. He he was a Brit who kind of moved over there with his family and his teens, and he. You know, he worked in nonfiction as a as a series showrunner in LA for years and years. And so kind of felt like we always had these parallel careers in a in the same in a similar area. But we often talked about working together, and it didn't never really made sense until actually it was just during when I was out in LA for the Sugarman Oscars. It sort of coincided with you know the, the sort of changing of the landscape. We were sort of beginning to see streaming companies getting into original content. And so this is what, 2012? 2013. Yeah. 12, 12, 12, yeah. I would know because I was there. 12, yeah. And um, so, yeah, we, he took me out for breakfast and kind of said, why don't we, you know, why don't we partner, do the thing we always talked about doing? And um, he said he knew some people. There was actually a company at Microsoft trying to get into the content business. There was a new studio they were building called Xbox Entertainment Studios, which was short-lived, I'm, I'm afraid to say. It was a little bit the Wild West, but it wasn't short enough for them to spend a billion dollars on content. <laughs> and we were the beneficiaries of a small, very small piece of that. Um, and so we got, our, we got our, in a way, I got our first commission, a six-part series, before we'd even set the company up. Um, and... That kind of enabled us to sort of get going. So, you know. And, and, and that was because you could see, you know, as you see, you sort of defined feature docs, man on wire, this is what it is. And suddenly the landscape was shifting. Yeah. And I think we're all seeing that very quickly now. Land, you know, you mentioned Xbox there. The landscapes in that digital space, that streaming space seem to be shifting very quickly. Is that the right decision you've made? As you say, theatrical is, is funny. Now, what, 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 where I mean, do you see you the, know, the in, in a way, you know, theatrical cinema is, unfortunately, has always been, um, you know, sort of a difficult distribution model for documentaries. There are the, the ones that have succeeded theatrically are the exceptions rather than the rule. Um, so in, in a way, yeah, I mean, the kind of advent of, 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 of the streaming model was a great has been an incredible boon to documentaries, even though it's sort of sadly compromised the theatrical model for not just documentaries that have always struggled in that form, but film generally, right. as we as we know. Um, but I'm not, not here complaining about, about that too much because I think actually probably people do want to watch documentaries at home on their large television screens with their good sound system. That's probably for most of them, the right place to watch them, much though I hate admitting that because as I said, you know, Man on Wire, one of the things that was spurring me and James on was try and make a film that sort of justified a big, a big screen experience. Yeah. And I think, I hope that it did and it did well at the box office. And there are other films that I've done that have done well so I don't want to sort of say that that, that model is, is dead, but uh, I think it is, it is it's, it's, maybe it's a bit on life support. And you're, but so you're very aware now of, uh, of making, so what do you do day to day as a, as a producer in your, in, your, in your company? Is there still a bit of you that's the, 
the old Simon that's producing an, an individual project? Are you across as an exec that we were hearing about earlier? Multiple projects. What's your yeah. what's your day? No, my, my, my day is very varied. Um, you know, I have, have a big team. We have an office in LA and one in London. We probably have 25 full-time staff. We have a six-person strong development team. And there is a there is an aspect of running a company like this with that kind of overhead where you know you do have to produce at a certain volume but yeah. it's it's a little bit about trying to sort of navigate trying to find the sweet spot because we are boutique and in a way what that's our brand you know we we make things at a very hope a very high level and we care and we try and craft stuff and you know so a lot of those projects i am very involved in yeah. kind of hands-on but then not every project can be exactly like that. Some are a little bit more meat and potatoes, hopefully quality meat and potatoes. So, but, but <laughs> Organic. Yeah, you know, I suppose, yeah, I suppose, yeah, you know, we, we are pitching a lot. I'm, I'm very actively out there working with the development team to develop projects to, to kind of, you know, to, to the best of our mm-hmm. ability to, you know, really raise the, raise the standard of our development. And then, the other end i'm sort of very much kind of quality control on the sort of mainly in the edit um i get tend to get very involved in the edit and i sort of give notes and, and, and work with the directors or the producers and on our feature docs you know i am jonathan and i we're, we're, we're hands-on you know we're sort of hands-on producers there was there was one recently that you had out which um i thought was was, was rather brilliant a film called the princess was it princess no. the the princess yeah. Uh, about uh, Princess Diana, Diana of Wales. Uh, and it was an extraordinary film. Uh, I thought it was put together through archive and clips. Uh, and it, it was in the cinemas as well. And it was yeah. also on Sky and it was during the summer. Uh, can you tell me a bit about making that? Because it's a sort of film, uh, but it's you know an archival film, a mosaic of our lives. How do you make, how do you make something different yeah, about that's, that, that subject? Was, that was the kind of challenge with that. I mean, we, we'd actually made a film called LA92 for National Geographic, which is one of their first oh, that, we love that feature one, docs we? We love in that. a sort of new era of National Geographic. And um, that was a sort of archive-only doc about the LA riots um, for the 25th anniversary. And, and, and it was a bit of a kind of process if it was a bit of a kind of a revelation for us because I guess you go in with an ambition to be able to sort of tell a story just through the archive, but you don't quite know what the process is going to be, what the grammar of the film is going to be, what it's going to offer up, you know, it's a little bit of a punt, um, but it was a great punt in a way. It was sort of like, you work with some great directors, uh, Dan Lindsay and TJ Martin, who won an Oscar for Undefeated, and they, they sort of created something really special with that, that film and through that form of storytelling that was sort of like somehow it sort of eschewed like analysis it was entirely about placing the audience in the moment in the way that scripted does and we felt that we could sort of apply a similar process to to this story uh and and we're working with a director who is part of my company called ed perkins He's an incredibly talented director. I have a lot of confidence in him. He's your in-house guy. Yeah, he's kind of our in-house guy. And um, he's he's amazing. And he'd been nudging me about this story for some time. And I'd, I'd always been deeply skeptical. 
But somehow suddenly, you know, after LA 92 and thinking about applying that same approach, plus the sort of way in which the story was evolving with Meghan and Harry and Megxit and all of that, which, you know, in, in a way everyone was discussing, sort of like somehow or other this kind of idea that maybe we could, by telling this story in that way, you could sort of view the story through that lens, through the lens of what was going on now, and sort of see it differently, see it as see it in relation because it was unmediated, because we're not offering any analysis, no talking heads. It's just to sort of like we can reframe it for a kind of modern audience. And hopefully what we've created is something where every time you watch the film or any, any audience watches it, they're looking at it through the lens of what's happened just yesterday. Yeah. I mean, you know, that the monarchy is a is an ever evolving thing, as we know. Well, many of us live through live through those moments. They're, they're, they're quite fresh memories in a way. Mm. I was working on the tabloid newspapers at the time, and a lot of people I work with are in this film. The pompous old James Whitakers of this world, the royal correspondents, the TV news bankers that we see. It's this this chatter of chatter of British culture that you sort of capture in this film. Well, yeah, and that's the other thing to say actually about it is that I lived through it as well, and Ed lived through it. I, I was a, probably a twenty-seven year old when Diana died, and Ed was eleven. So we we both had our very different kind of experiences and memories. I was pretty cynical. I thought the nation had lost its fucking mind when she died, and Ed was eleven, and he was like just looking at his parents who were stricken with grief and he was confused because it's like my parents don't know this woman why are they why are they grieving so you know we tried to in a way put the team together for everyone's different and the editor was actually the editor of man on wise jinx godfrey and she brought her own perspective to it and i think it just became a sort of the process of making it became very gratifying we were figuring it out as you we went along what the grammar and language of this film is but, but what we wanted to say and we all had different things we wanted to say. And so it became a sort of process of Ed kind of synthesizing a lot of those feelings and ideas. And that's amazing because, that's what, you know, an icon can do that. And she, she is an yeah. icon. Yeah, but documentary can do that in right. a way. And that's, the, that's the why I love the form of documentary. Because, you know, with scripted, maybe that process takes place when you're, when you're writing, you know. And you're kind of writing, I mean, I've been involved in scripted projects. And, you know, you're writing never quite sure whether the written word is going to tr end up on the screen. You know, it's a, yeah. To some degree, it's always a speculative process. With the documentary, you're, you're kind of doing the writing in the cutting room. And with a project like that, you literally are. You're just figuring it out as you go along with the raw material that you have available. That's limiting in one sense, but, but also kind of guides you, mm. guide, you know, so, so it, I find that process incredibly Oh, it's rewarding. fascinating because you feel, when you watch it, you feel like someone's painting. It's almost a bit like moving things around and the mosaic coming together. The, 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 can you tell what it is yet? And you, you that's exa that's exactly right. And by the way, it's not straightforward. I mean, you know, we, there were points where we got to a cut, we thought we'd done really well. We thought, yeah, this is, this is great, you know. And we sent it out to some trusted filmmaker makers and uh, one who particular who should remain nameless um who eviscerated literally just eviscerated it. it's like oh no and and but but actually sort of illuminated some things that you know we needed to sort of absorb and 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 so often that is 
that that is also the process. You sort of get very close to your film, but you get a bunch of notes and then you can really change it. Whereas I think sometimes with scripted, maybe the possibilities to adapt and change things are, are more limited. Yeah, than you can't go back and reshoot something, you know, well, so you can. It takes a, costs a lot of money to do that. Yeah, so. absolutely. Simon, it's been absolutely fantastic hearing those, those problems that you've sorted out and come in and dealt with. That's brilliant. Uh, hearing the history of, uh, of of your career and uh, where you're at. Just very quickly, what, what's the what's the current project? What are you working on? What, what can we see at the moment? Is there a... Well, yeah, I mean, maybe I should plug um, a, a new series that we've done about Phil Spector, the, the sort of legendary genius producer who murdered a woman in 2003, a, a, an amazing woman called Lana Clarkson, in his chateau on the outskirts of, of Los Angeles. Uh, he was a very, very complex and difficult character. And I ho hopefully what this series does, it's a four-part series that you can see on Sky, it's also on Showtime, is it sort of tells Lana Clarkson's story alongside Phil Spector's story for the first time. She was always a little footnote. She was always described as the, the victim who was a B-movie actress. And I think hopefully we've sort of, we've brought her to life in a very respectful way. And, and I think hopefully that seems to be what the US press is picking up on about the series. Uh, and, and it brings something fresh, I think, to the story. And it's just called Spectre. 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 On Sky in, on January the 8th. And the latest production from Simon, Simon Chin, who is, I'm delighted to have said was our first guest on the second season of Meet the Producer. Thank you all very much for coming. Simon Chin, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. And thanks to the production guild of Great Britain, Lindsay Duffy, and I've been Jason Solomon. Good night. Thank you, Simon Chin. Thank you, Focus. I think there's a lot to glean from that session. And thanks to everyone at Focus who came up to us afterwards with their enthusiasm about it. I thought it was brilliant to hear Simon's journey from single producer on Man on Wire, which won an Oscar, uh, to the head of a large production company. And it was interesting to get his mix of passion and business acumen, his instincts, the tensions and the getting it done. I guess as producers, we are all, all of us, men and women on wires. Thanks for listening to Meet the Producer from the Production Guild of Great Britain and sponsored by PSN, Production Service Network. To find out more about them and the key resources they can provide for producers, go to productionguild.com and productionservicenetwork.com. And for more about me, it's jasonsolomons.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.